Jesus told stories to teach, to relate truths to people's lives, to help us understand God, to help us have a better life. Oftentimes, he started his storytelling by saying, It's like a farmer who went out to plant some seed. It's like a man who had two sons. It's like a king who called his servant in to settle the debt he owed. It's like a man who was attacked by robbers on his way to Jericho. It's like a rich man who had an abundant harvest. It's like a man of noble birth who gave his servants some money to invest. It's like... It's like... It's like... Good morning. Welcome to the fourth installment of a series called It's Like. When Jesus was teaching in the New Testament, he often taught through stories. And those stories are called parables. And in those parables, Jesus would story about one thing, but he was really talking about something else. And oftentimes he started those stories with saying, it's like. And what followed was a story that revealed God's will for mankind. It revealed a little more about the kingdom of God. It revealed a little more about Jesus's purpose for being here. Or it revealed the hearts of his listeners. So we picked out six of Jesus' stories that we believe are the ones that we, if we really focus on these and we really walk away finding ourselves in each of these stories and we really internalize it and think, which character am I and how can I live differently because of this? Our lives will be changed. So every week as we read through these stories, please go home and read them again. And read all the nuances that are in each of them and find yourself in the story. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep if you want to keep it. If you want to just borrow it and read along, you can do that as well. Just leave it in the back on the way out. All the scriptures are also going to be displayed on the screen. You can read along there as well. Several years ago, my family and I lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I met a guy there named John the four years that we lived there. And I got to know John uh, pretty well. John lived under a bridge, and he chose to live there. Uh, John was an artist. He did quite a bit of artwork. I've, I've got some of his artwork that I still have that he drew for me. And when John would ask for money, he wouldn't say, hey, could you, I'm down on my luck. Could you give me $10 so I could? He would say, could you buy me some art supplies? And he didn't mind if you gave him the money or if you took him to the art store and bought it. And then he would draw these pictures and he was really good at it and he would sell them. And that's how he would get money to get food or anything else that he needed. That's how it's supposed to work. But John would just talk to us, those of us who hung out with him, he would talk to us about his faith. And one day I said, John, why, why do you draw these pictures? What, what do you draw them for? Because all of them are either like a picture of Jesus or a scene from the ministry of Christ that were, that were just in his head. He would read the scriptures and then he would draw something about it. And he said, well, I just want to use my gift to help people get to know about Jesus. Because Jesus is who gets me through every day and I want Jesus to get everybody through every day. So he would draw these and he'd sell them on street corners or wherever people would buy them. John made an impact with the gifts God had given him because he had faith and trust in Christ. And as we start to read through the ministry of Jesus, 
we see that Jesus attracted people to him that were more like John than like us. Jesus had this heart that somehow made him want to hang out with people like that more than the religious people of the day. And he was always being given a hard time for hanging out with people on the margins, with people like John, with drifters, with outcasts. And it confused all the religious people of today, the day. And the story that we're going to look at today in the book of Luke chapter 19 has a story behind it, has a story that comes before it about Jesus' interaction with some individuals that led up to the reason he even told the story. The story's about the story that's told before the parable is the episode where Jesus meets a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus wants to hear Jesus so bad, he fights the crowds, he climbs up in a tree so he can hear Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he says, come down, I want to go to your house and eat with you today. Now, Zacchaeus was on the margins. He was a tax collector and they didn't have a lot of friends, especially religious people. They did not like tax collectors. And so when they heard Jesus was going to be with Zacchaeus, they were thinking, what, why would Jesus go to the home of a sinner? But what happened with this one episode of Jesus going to Zacchaeus' home was Zacchaeus' life was radically changed. He came out of his interaction with Christ and lived different. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 8, we'll pick up the story and it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, Zacchaeus understood something that even those in Jesus' inner circle didn't understand. And that is, when I start to follow Christ, when I take that step and say, yes, I believe what he says is true. Yes, I want to have a relationship and be in relationship with Jesus. Here's what Zacchaeus understood. He understood that following Christ means that I reorient my life. Because as soon as he met Jesus, he said, look, here's what I'm going to do. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, now that you're following me, you need to give half what you own to the poor and you need to right all the wrongs in your life. He was not told to do that, but there was something about coming into this relationship and this proximity to Jesus that changed him from the inside and made him say, my life is going to be different. Something inside of him clicked and it changed. And if you follow Christ or you're considering following Christ, you should know that when we come into a life with Christ and when we make that decision to come into the family of God, everything changes. Everything about our lives should then be different. And Jesus' listeners didn't get this. So he begins this parable. Right before he begins this parable, he's trying to say, this guy Zacchaeus that's on the margins has just as much right and access to me as you do. And he says, I'm here to seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus said that over and over in his ministry, trying to get religious people to understand, look, it's about getting my message out to people who need to hear it. And everybody's got an equal chance to hear it. So verse 11, it says, while they were still listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 
Now, it's important to know what that means because these people following Jesus around, they thought he was going to set up this political kingdom, overthrow Rome, and they were going to be in charge. And hey, if I'm close to the guy in charge, then maybe I get some influence too. Maybe I get to tell some people what to do. So they were hoping. Jesus was here, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they couldn't even fathom why he was really going there, which was to die. They thought he was going to set up a kingdom. And so Jesus tells them this story that lets them know, you don't understand. You think I'm going to set up this political kingdom, but that's not what my kingdom is like. And he tells them a story to let them know, this is why people like Zacchaeus are my focus, in a sense, is what he's telling them in this story. This is why I want people like Zacchaeus in a relationship with me. So he goes on to tell this story, verse 12. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Mina was just a a sum of money. Last week we talked about talents. That's a large sum of money. Mina is a little less sum of money. So he gives them money and he says, put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So Jesus has introduced two different categories of people. There's there's the servants of the king who were given gifts and told, make this work while I'm gone. Do something with it. And then there was this other group of people who hated the king. They didn't want him to be king. Now, this would have got Jesus' listeners really listening. Their ears would have perked up because it's a historical fact. There was this guy named Archelaus who was the son of Herod who recently, just a few years before that, would have gone all the way to Rome to be appointed king over his area. Rome was in control. Rome ruled the, ruled the world. And they would give these guys king, kingship or authority over small areas. But you had to be appointed by the Roman government in order to do that. So this guy Archelaus, Herod's son, goes to Rome to be appointed king. And he has this delegation going behind him saying, we hate you. We don't want you to be our king. And so when Jesus starts telling this story, he's putting enough contemporary facts in there to people think, okay, what's he talking about? He's talking about a king. That happened to Archelaus. Everybody opposed him. Everybody hated him. So what's Jesus really talking about? Well, I'll give it away. Jesus is really talking about himself. He's the king. And, And the subjects are the people who accept the message of Christ, who follow Christ. And the people who oppose the king, are Jesus' opposition. Now, they would have understood this, surely, as Jesus was telling the story. And Jesus is trying to paint this picture of the fact that he's going to go away, and he's got some work for people to do while he's gone, and then he's going to return. So if you're here today checking out church or just wondering, is this whole church thing for me, or am I ready to take a step into the family of God This is a great message to hear because Jesus reveals what he expects of people who follow him. So he lays out these, first of all, he talks about these these two categories. This category of people who oppose him and this category of people who were his servants who were given gifts. So this, this first, he eventually talks about a whole other category, but this first category of people, the one who, the ones who said, we don't want this man to be king. 
We don't want him to be king. We don't want to be his subjects. They wanted something different. They didn't like this king for whatever reason, this king Jesus is talking about. They didn't like what he stood for. They didn't like who he hung out with. And the fact with Jesus, they didn't like, he's setting up this physical kingdom. Because what Jesus is starting to reveal to them that they don't like is following Jesus means that you're under his authority. And a lot of people then and now hated authority. Hated having somebody tell them what they should do. Hated somebody saying that truth would come from anywhere else other than inside of them. I mean, it's very natural to test authority. If you have, if you have kids, you know, it's kind of like God wires, hardwires it in there. They got to test authority sooner or later. The best of children do it, right? They test authority. Parents are like, finally, yes, I, yeah, that's right, acknowledge that. They test authority. I can remember as a child thinking, you know, that my parents didn't know anything. And they would tell me to do something, I would think I knew better. I remember my first BB gun. And I remember the list of it felt like 200 rules. It's like, why do I even want this thing? All these rules that go with it. But two of them that I remember, I'm sure not shooting a friend was in there. I don't remember that one. But two of them, two of them that I remember, don't shoot any glass because you can tell when a BB gun shoots glass. It makes a very distinct crevice in the, in the glass and I'll know you did it, boy. Well, I'd never seen what a BB gun shooting glass looked like. So guess what I did to the plate glass window in the house? The first time I had a chance, and I thought, well, if I get really far back, it probably won't make too big of a mark, and Dad will never know. So I shoot the glass. Sure enough, I, the mark was there. got in a lot of trouble. So that was one rule. I broke it because, hey, I just want to see what it looks like. Another rule, don't shoot animals. I've only shot two animals in my life. And one was when I was a boy with my first BB gun, and this bird perched on this tree, and I thought, I wonder if I can hit that. And I did. I'm sorry I did. <laughs> and I killed it. I didn't want any of that authority. Some people are 40 years old and still saying, I don't want any authority. I'm going to do this my own way. I don't want people giving me rules and telling me what to do. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, I've got some very specific ways that I want you to live. Jesus is saying, I want you to live in a way that affects the way you make decisions. I want you to live in a way that affects the way you parent your children. Live in a way that affects the way you organize your schedule and the things you commit to. Live in a way that affects how you handle conflict. So when you make a decision to follow Christ, he's saying, I want it to affect everything that you do. But this group of people that Jesus is talking about, they say, we don't want you to be our king. And people who don't want the authority of Christ in their life, that's what they're saying. No thanks, Jesus. I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. I don't need your authority to tell me how my marriage should be or what I should, should or should not do. I'll take care of that myself. And some people in that group would have immediately seen themselves as in group one, this first group that Jesus talks about. And I know Jesus' hope is as we read this story that we find out and we, we internalize and think, where, where am I? Because when we start to want to do everything on our own without any authority over us, 
we tend to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Jesus was hated by most religious political leaders of his day, not because he was evil, not because he was the Messiah, but because he was a threat to their authority. He was a threat to them being able to do everything they wanted to do. He was a threat to them being the own masters of their universe. There's an episode in Jesus's ministry when he's giving this teaching about commitment and he's talking about what it means to be committed. And he looks and he sees this big crowd behind him and he gives them a message of, if you want to be committed to me, this is what it looks like. And at the end of that message on commitment, it says, at that time, many turned back and no longer followed him. There were people who said, I, I just can't do it. I, I just can't be that committed and I won't. And that's what this group of people who didn't want the king to be over them, the group of people who didn't want Jesus to be over them, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I hate this authority that's over me and I don't want it. So this, this is a group of people who said, I want it my way, got to have it my way or it's no way. But as you will find out as we read the rest of the story, things don't turn out too good for them. In Luke chapter 19, verse 15, so Jesus goes on with the story. So this king has gone away. He's left, uh, he's left his followers, his subjects with, some of them with money to invest and work with while he's gone. Some are following behind this king saying, we don't want him to be king. And then it says he was made king and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they'd gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you have been trustworthy in very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mine away from him and give it to the one who has ten. So Jesus puts all the characters in the story now. The first group of characters, they hated authority. They didn't want his authority over them. The second group, they were given some money and some of them used it wisely. Some of them took it and multiplied it. So Jesus, the king said, here's some free money. Take it and make more. And they disciplined themselves in such a way that they actually produced something with the money that he had given them. And it took discipline. Oftentimes we have opportunities to help people through uh, financial counseling and help them through financial difficulties. And, and sometimes people will share, this is how much money I make, this is how much money I spend. And if I could just have more money, then everything would be okay. And most of the time, the answer is, no, you don't need more money. You need more discipline. Money's not the problem. Because 
most of the time when a person has found themselves in that situation, it doesn't matter how much money they had, they would mismanage it. But Jesus is not, he's not talking about money. He's talking about gifts. He's talking about the discipline to use the gifts that he's given us. And he illustrates it by saying, here's a group of smart people who took money and multiplied it, who earned interest, who figured out this is how you create wealth. You have discipline, you invest, you earn interest, you make a profit, and it multiplies. Jesus is talking about the gifts that we're each given. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about because of the generosity of Jesus Christ, we were all given gifts. And the Bible is clear. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a giftedness. Really, every person that's ever been born has a giftedness that was given to them by God. Right now, during this service, we have, have going on our Connect class. If you missed out on that today, just look on the program. It gives you, gives you the dates for the next one. But our Connect class is a place where people learn what it means to connect with God, what it means to connect with others, and then what it means to connect with the gifts that God has given you. So we have a way that we kind of lead people through this survey and they find out their giftedness. What are some of the ways God wired me up, they find out. And they leave there knowing, okay, this is, this is how I can use my gift to multiply God's kingdom. If you don't know how to do that, if you're thinking, how, how can I go find my gift? Come and talk to me afterwards. Rob and I will be down here at the front. Come and say, hey, I want to get in on that. I want to know how to do it. And you might think, well, I, I'm too messed up. I can't. You mean gifts me? You know what I've done? You know where I've been? You know how untalented I am, really? God can use every person to make a difference in the world. Everybody. Every single person. And when he's hanging out there with Zacchaeus, a guy that they thought, what could he possibly offer? Zacchaeus all of a sudden uses his giftedness, which was obviously money. He had some money and, and he was gifted and, and made more of it. And he said, I'm going to give half of this away. And in this story, it's interesting that when the king saw the faithfulness of the ones he gave money to, the ones who used it responsibly, he gave them more. He, he didn't just say, okay, thanks, I appreciate it. He said, because you've been so faithful with this little, and it says a very small matter, then I'm going to give you more. So the king's not interested in money. He's interested in obedience. I've had people say, specifically people who say, hey, I want to be a ministry. I want to I do what you do. Or I want to somehow, I want to do that. It looks like a lot of fun. How do I do that? I want to do something big for God. The way you do something big for God is to do something little for God. Start small. Do something little. Invite somebody to church. Help out a friend. Do something nobody knows about. And before you know it, there's going to be more and more and more and more things that God will give you to do. It's a biblical principle. If you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. Using your gifts, use your gifts, and God will give you more opportunities to use your gifts. I mean, that's a principle of life, right? 
little things over time are better than just the big boom. I got it all now. If you're, if you're in debt, stop playing the lottery, okay? Thinking if I just win, first I'm going to pay for the church's building. If people tell me that, I'm like, well, I'm waiting. Hope you win. <laughs> Go play. If you win, let me know. And then I'm going I'm to pay off all my debts. That's not how it works. If you want to pay off your debts, start living disciplined. If you want your waistline to shrink, forget the fad diets. They won't work. Change habits, exercise, eat right. Stop eating the stuff that makes you fat. <laughs> Try that first. Exercise a little bit. Watch a little less TV. And do little things day by day, and then you'll see. Wow, that's making a difference. So the, the principle Jesus is trying to say is, if I can trust you with a little bit, then I can trust you with a lot. And the little right things over time pay big dividends. So Jesus has introduced us to, three, to two groups. First, the group that says, I hate the king. I don't want him to be my king. I don't like authority. Second group who says, thank you for the gifts. I want to invest them and use them to make a difference in the world. And then there's this other group that's really just represented by the one guy who held on to his money and did nothing. All he did with his money was play it safe. He hid it away and it accomplished nothing. It's interesting. All the people who were given money had equal opportunity, every single one, but the results were quite different. And they were different because he had an incorrect view of the king. And a lot of people have an incorrect view of God. Maybe it's the way you grew up. Maybe you grew up in an environment where, where God was presented to you in a way where he was scary, where he was just waiting for you to get out of line and he was harsh. That's what this servant thought about the king. He thought, well, he's harsh. And the king was like, I'm not, you think I'm harsh? I'm going to judge you by your own words. So he took his gift away and he gave it to the one who had more. All because the guy just would not allow himself to see the goodness and the grace and the mercy that came from the king. Something happened that made him fear the master. And so he did nothing. He took no risks. Being used by God means that I take risks. That I have to take a chance. That I have to make a decision without knowing what the outcome is going to be. That I have to take a step and not be sure of how it's going to turn out. We just, uh, we just brought on a, a new leadership resident. He starts uh, the 1st of September. And I met him back last October. And he was talking to me about how he wanted to get in church planting. He didn't know much about it. And, and how could he do that? And just through several months of conversation, he ends up saying, you know what? I, I want to be one of those residents that you have. And I was like, well, you know, we don't pay residents. That's part of, the, part of the experience. You know, you get no pay. You got to figure out how to get your money. And it is. It's, if you want to start a church, you got to figure that part out. So, hey, come on and we'll, we'll help you figure it out. But we don't have any money for you. And the guy, like, he, we helped him move in yesterday. And I was like, I just want to say that I, I really have a lot of respect for you. You're just like doing it, man. You're just like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to raise the money. I'm just going to make it happen. And, and, and God's calling me to do this. And he has no idea 
where the income's going to come from. But I guarantee, I can already tell by the guy's attitude, he's going to figure it out. Because he's willing to take big risks. There was a time when I was looking in the mirror as the lead pastor of this church. And we were at one location over at Six Forks. And we'd go, go up and go down. Attendance up and down. And it was like, let's, let's start another location. That's a big risk. Not only just a big risk philosophically, but financially it was a huge risk. A couple hundred thousand dollars to start another location. And I remember saying, well, this is it. Make or break. <laughs> if this doesn't work, honey, get the moving van out. because." But I was so compelled, we have to take this risk. And had we not taken that risk as a group of leaders... And as a church, many of you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't even have heard of LifePoint Church. And maybe you wouldn't even have heard of Jesus and what he can do for your life. If you're not doing something that appears irresponsible to other people, then you're not taking the kind of risks with your faith that you should. Now, I'm not talking about just any old irresponsible thing. I'm talking about like our leadership resident, Sean Bynum and his wife, Felicia, the, the, the risk they're taking. How some people probably look at him and say, that is not responsible. He's got three kids and you're moving and you don't know where your income's going to come from. That's crazy. And he would say, no, that is my faith because I know what God's calling me to do. So taking chances can sometimes just, it just brings a, an awareness of life and an excitement to life and faith that you never experienced before. Last week, I was out on Falls Lake with our youth pastor, Molly, Abby, a couple other people, Nate, Rachel, and we were out there on a rope swing. It's not just any rope swing. If you're on Falls Lake, there's two rope swings that I know of. One's like, yeah, it's a rope swing. Anybody could do it. There's another one that's up on, like, you get up on this eight-foot platform. It's held up by two tie-downs. Anybody ever been to that one? Anybody? All right, you know what I'm talking about. It's scary. So we're there, and our youth pastor, he gets out in the water and swims down to find out if there's anything to hit. He determines, okay, it's safe except for this, these sticks. And so he's taking all these sticks out of the water. And then the decision, who's going to go first? And, you know, I'm, I'm always a leader, so I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going first. <laughs> and there's a teenage boy with us, and I was like, you will be missed the least. So I literally said that. I said, so you go first. I've got a lot of responsibility, so if you go and something happens, it'll be okay, all right? And so I didn't go first. I didn't even go second. I think I went third, and even a couple of the girls went. But when I went, it just, oh, it was like, you know, you jump off that thing 15 feet over the water, you fall in, and I had to go to the chiropractor after that because of it, but I'm not kidding, I did. But there's this, when you do something risky, not like that, don't go do something stupid and get yourself hurt, but there's something that that just life happens. And when we take big faith risks, it, it, just, it just really makes life so much more exciting, so much more meaningful, and so much more faith-filled. Guys, imagine if you had never conquered your fears and said, will you marry me? Imagine if you had never said, for those of you that may be going to school for the second time around and you, you didn't go back to school, imagine if you never took that chance. Imagine if you never went up to the person and said, would you go to church with me? Imagine if you never conquered your fears and walked through these, this back do the, the doors of the church. Imagine if you'd have never said, I'm, I'm ready to, to be in the family of God. I'm ready to 
take that step of faith and follow Christ in baptism. Imagine if you'd have never taken those chances where your life would be. So this guy that that represents group number three, he lost out because he wouldn't take a chance. He wouldn't exercise his faith. And Jesus told this whole story before the trial, before the crucifixion, before their trip back to to Jerusalem. And Jesus is trying to say, look, I'm I'm leaving. I'm I'm going away and I want to leave you all in charge. I, I want to leave you in charge of my kingdom. And I want you to produce something. So I don't, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be in group number one that opposes my authority. I don't want you to be the guy that's scared to do anything because you think I'm unjust. I want you to be the person who says, God, thank you for the gifts you've given me. Allow me to use them to make a difference in the world. Sometimes that means taking a big, big chance. Sometimes it means making a decision without knowing what's going to come afterwards. But it'll always pay big dividends in the kingdom of God. When we do that, Jesus celebrates that those who turned their little bit of money into even more, those who use their gifts to produce even more. And what he's saying is, I expect you to do something with the life and with the gifts that I've given you. So group one, it didn't end well for them. The story goes on to say that the, the master said, bring, him, bring all those people in the opposition before me and slaughter them. I mean, they get offed. They get killed. Now, this, is not, this does not mean God is harsh and Jesus is saying, That's, I can't wait to do that. He's saying, look, I have an answer. They don't want it. So there's a consequence they are going to have to deal with. And he's not talking about people who mess up and make mistakes and get going down the wrong road and shouldn't be. He's talking about people who are in direct opposition to his authority. He's saying it's not going to end well for them. Not that he enjoys any part of that, but it would be like if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, look, good news and bad news. Bad news is you have cancer. The good news is it's the kind I can get rid of. It's the kind with the surgery or the treatment. You will be okay. And it would be like you saying, that's all right. I I, I choose not to do that. When the guy that had the answer, when the guy that had the right treatment was standing right in front of you. See, the king had the right treatment. The The king had everything to give the servants. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm giving you gifts and I want you to take them to reach people like Zacchaeus, people who are on the margins, people who are on the outside, people who feel like I'm not relevant to them. That's what I want you to do with my gifts that I give you. So this parable is about choosing, choosing which group you want to be in, choosing how you're going to respond to Jesus saying, here are gifts, use them. I'm going to come back someday and please have used them and reproduced what I've given you and other people. So if you don't think that God can use you, if you don't think you have a gift that's worth sharing and giving, listen what 
Peter, who would have heard this parable firsthand, said. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What you and I will do with what we've been entrusted with is an unfinished story. It's not too late to start. It's not too late to say, I need to start using my gifts. Because if God can use a homeless guy under a bridge in Baton Rouge to touch people with the message of Christ, he can use you. So find yourself in this story and leave deciding, I want to know what my gift is and I want to use it to make a difference in the world around me. Let's pray. God, we are humbled that you've gifted us. And Father, I pray for the person or people who sit here feeling like they have nothing to, nothing to offer, that you would fill them up with confidence that you have gifted us and you have an expectation that we share that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.